Welcome to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick Podcast with Tommy Alter. Uh, we've got another great guest. This is our third straight NBA player that we're having, which I feel like is a rarity for us. So this is uh, this is going to be our conversation with Pat Connaughton. Provided some interesting insight. We got a lot of stuff out of him. Just to provide a little bit of context, we recorded with Pat uh, prior to recording with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, so there is some stuff in here on uh, the NBA return. Pat has a has a, a unique sense of humor, and I think he has some some really funny <laughs> suggestions for what gameplay looks like uh, and crowd noise and, and and that nature. All right, let's get to our conversation with Milwaukee Bucks guard Pat Connaughton. Pat, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Excited to be on. Where, where are you right now? Have you been in Milwaukee the whole time? Are you in your your home market? Yep. I'm in Milwaukee. Um, I didn't leave. I stayed here the whole time. You know, the bucks did a great job of supporting us, obviously medically, if anything happens, you know, they had the staff here and, and doctors on call, but it was also one of those things where they did a good job supplying weights, bikes, and, uh, you know, some food from the chefs once a week, things like that to try to incentivize guys to stick around and, and quite frankly, to help guys out, um, you know, who did stick around. What percentage of guys on your team, I'm just curious, uh, stuck around Milwaukee and, 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 and didn't leave? I would say probably like 90%. I would say some of the, the older veterans that uh, you know, have houses and families elsewhere um, did some quarantining in, the, in those places. But for the most part, uh, you know, we kind of have a young team. So we have uh, the majority of guys sticking around in market and, and, and trying to find things to keep them busy here in the great city of Milwaukee. <laughs> how long, how long did you go right when everything shut down in March? How long did you go before? Like you picked up a basketball? Oh, uh, you know, it was, it was basically the, the entire quarantine. I would say it was six, eight weeks. Um, that was like the biggest question I got through any like fa- friends, family, and any interviews that I had to do for the team. Like, have you ever gone this long without touching a basketball? You know, I found ways to stay in shape, run Hills outside, um, you know, do pushups, sit-ups. I got a few bikes, Peloton, things like that, but the not touching a basketball, you know, I was, I have a basketball in my apartment. I was kind of dribbling around my apartment, you know, my best friend and his fiance who's in the real estate stuff I do, uh, live with me. So I was dribbling around them, but they're not, you know, JJ caliber defenders. So I had to, uh, really, uh, you know, put a few chairs in there as well. Very few people are, uh, are as good of <laughs> defenders as me. I know my defensive RPM, I think, is fifth worst amongst shooting guards. So, <laughs> well, that's why I say that's. I, I always say I hate analytics. I hate analytics for sure. I thought it was fifth best. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, so, NBA, uh, we actually haven't recorded a podcast yet uh, since the NBA, I guess, officially is back. Obviously, we're still working out uh, some things uh, with the league and the union. Uh, in terms of specific logistics of how this is all going to work. Uh, but just give me give me your thoughts on the return of the NBA and, you know, specifically with regards to adding in the regular season. And, and do you feel like uh, you guys needed that or, or would you have been okay going straight to the playoffs? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think I have a unique opinion a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm pretty into like business in general and, and the way the NBA business works kind of fascinates me. Um, so when I try to take my biasy out of it, when I look at it, I thought it was important that, you know, 
we came back to some degree. Uh, and I'm saying that obviously with the understanding that health precautions and safety and all that is the number one priority. But you know, I didn't I didn't think it it made sense to just cancel the season with the unknown of what could happen next year. And, you know, the things that we're hearing where there may not be fans next year until January one. And with fans making up, you know, concessions, gate, all that making up like 40% of the revenue, did it make sense to, why would you cancel this season when you could potentially get something out of it, uh, crown a champion and at least give some hope. I mean, I think sports in general gives some hope to the rest of the world, rest of the country, et cetera. So, uh, I kind of liked that they stayed in limbo a little bit and it was a little unknown. I didn't personally like it because I would have liked to have some certainty on our end as players, but, uh, from a business standpoint, I thought it kind of made sense. And then I thought it would be kind of unique. I think it will be a unique time to try to mess with some stuff. You know what I mean? A different NBA season. Uh, you know, I know there's been some owners that have been pushing for that because of a certain theory that, you know, the beginning of our season competes with football. And if the beginning of our season didn't, it would be bring about better revenue and the middle of our season would have nothing else on television. Then the end of the season would, you know, just be competing with baseball, which, uh, I think owners are happy about if they can. So I think trying the play in format, you know, doing some regular season games and then doing maybe a play in for the last, I know baseball adopts that for the wild card. Uh, so personally I've seen it work really well. And, uh, you know, I think just playing around with those different, um, situations will be kind of cool to see how it works out from a business standpoint for the NBA and, you know, trying to find ways to with the TV deal holds us up right now. Right. So if everything's going to streaming, is there ways to auto populate the NBA app during this time and get some behind the scenes stuff within the bubble, um, that fans will pay for and want to see that can only be seen on the NBA app. And then as the years go on, that app becomes where people watch games. That's very interesting. It's a great point. Uh, The one thing you just mentioned about waiting and the uncertainty, I think for me and for a lot of guys, that was probably the hardest part. And I know people across the country who are either out of work or have been furloughed or um, who's who can't return to their office to do their job. I, I think that I think resonates with everyone. And when you're sitting around and you're getting information every week or every two weeks about what a potential return to play looks like. Um, it can be a little frustrating at times with all the information and misinformation that comes along. I think for me, it was just, it was just good to know that we have a plan and this is what's going to happen and it's definitive. And I can actually look out and, and say, all right, well, you know, for most of July and and August, I'm going to be in Orlando, Florida in, in sweltering heat, um, (laughs) in a, in a bubble. So let me ask you something. We're, this it came out yesterday that um, we can't we can't leave the bubble, and I kind of assumed that, but they were very Shams was very specific. It's a, it's a ten day quarantine plus two negative coronavirus tests. Do you think there's any NBA players that will attempt to leave the bubble? I do. Like I said, kind of at the beginning, like I think health and safety is the one priority. I would love if guys wouldn't just for sanctity of the league and getting it done. And it's, you know, look, it's not every team is going to be there for eight to 12 weeks. You know, there'll be teams that are out after the regular season. There'll be teams that are out after the first round, like the numbers will keep coming down. So I would like to think that guys have the self-control to, to stay in one place and just kind of treat it like a fraternity, you know, hanging around with your other brothers and, and, and being in, uh, you know, the bubble and playing basketball and things like that. But, um, I think with the way the rest of the world seems to be going, things opening up and people maybe 
not smartly going out and, and, and uh, being at beaches and things of that nature from what I've seen on television, I think it's going to be tough to convince NBA guys that we have to be in that bubble when no one else really is. So my hope is if, and when guys do leave the bubble or like a, they're safe and they have those negative tests and that doesn't become a problem, but B maybe there's a way for the NBA to, you know, open up Disney world, a certain part of the rides for us, you know, specifically, if they want us in that bubble, maybe we can start to like have the bubble move as a unit to, to do different things. But I do think that will be a challenge unless they're going to have security guards at every single uh, gate. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty difficult to keep everybody in that bubble for 12 potential weeks. Have they said what the punishment is going to be if, if you get caught leaving? You get quarantined for 10 days. You can't play. So you just can't play. So it's, it's, straight, it's what if, straight up. What if they, what if it's they took a, the, it's what, basically like you showing symptoms and getting a positive test. You can't return to play until you have a 10-day quarantine and two uh, negative tests. I would assume one at the beginning of that quarantine and one at the end of the quarantine. I wonder what if they did like the, you remember the rookie transition program? If you left, you had to come back and do it again and you got fined like 30 grand. So next summer you have to come back and be quarantined and Disney again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of guys Without, wouldn't leave then. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, the problem you guys are going to have, and and honestly, like it's it, it, MB with, with camera phones, how are you going to leave and get away with it? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I, it's really tough. Yeah. It's, it's tough in general. Cause you're, you're also talking about, let's just be honest. You're not just talking about people leaving. You're talking about people bringing people in too. Like the bubble, you, you can't leave the bubble. And you're not supposed to have to also have people into the bubble. So that I think is, it's a two way street and that's going to be the most difficult part of, of making sure you keep guys contained. Uh, but hopefully, as I said, as the Browns start dwindling and as the regular season gets over and as teams leave, uh, you know, guys will start to take it seriously and, and understand like, where are you really going? You know, where are you really going in Disney world? What are you, what, why are you leaving? Where, if you can't go on the rides or you're not going to at least get away with going to, you know, MGM studios and getting on the rock and roll roller coaster without somebody yeah. taking a picture of you, then what are you really going to do? It's like what in Orlando is a can't miss thing that you have to leave the bubble to go <laughs> yeah. see alligator farm. Like, <laughs> who knows? Uh, all right. Here's a scenario I'm going to lay out that I think, I think is a, is a very high probability of happening. Let's say, so there's six teams that aren't current, currently in the playoffs. And from my understanding, to be eligible for the play-in tournament, you have to be four games or less behind the eighth seed. So what happens if some of these teams come back and three, four games go by and they're essentially mathematically eliminated from being, you know, from being able to get to that four-game barrier? And there's still four or five games left to play for their team. There's going to be some guys that say, fuck this and leave. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable. I've been true. in Disney world now for five weeks. I'm good. My team's not going to make the play in game. I'm out. Yep. That's going to yeah, happen. That's, or, yeah, that's, or maybe it looks like I have a sprained ankle. I'm going to go home. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, and I don't know how you combat that. I mean, unless, and I don't, I don't know. I, unless like when a guy leaves, he just leaves for good. So he's literally purposely breaching the bubble. No, that's so that what I'm saying. He's going home. He's yeah. That's what I'm saying. He's going home. I like, I'm not going to name a name, but like a guy on, let's say like the wizards is just like, fuck it. We're out. I'm yeah. gone. I'm going home. Do you now, do you think they should 
next uh, four games, do you think it just should be based off seating? Like if you're like in baseball, there's no mathematical games behind. It's just the wild card and the person, the team right behind the wild card they play. Right. Um, I, I mean, I think it gives specifically with the Western conference, it gives all these teams that are sort of bunched up a fair shot to, to get the eighth seed. You know, I think we talked about this, you know, before, but you know, it's, I think they did the play in game because Zion is not in the playoffs. That's why they brought these teams back. There's probably some other financial reasons in regards to regional sports network contracts. But I mean, for, for the attention in the NBA, like, I wonder if the, if it was reversed and Z- and by the way, John ja Morant is a is a highlight reel and an attraction in his own right. But if Zion was in the eighth seed and the Pelicans, we were in the eighth seed. I'm wondering if we're doing this. Is that is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think I think in my opinion. Now you've seen it y- this whole year, so you have probably a better vision of it than me. I think it's fifty 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 percent Zion fifty percent. Those oh, teams it, like Portland yeah. and everybody else who would have been up in arms about not sure. getting an opportunity to make the playoffs, I think. And like you said, right, regional TV, all that stuff is obvious. But like, I think Adam is taking the time to test a few ideas. Uh, maybe the playing tournament sticks around. You know, there were some things thrown around at the beginning of this year where there was an in-season tournament, which had nothing to do with playing in the playoffs, but like different ideas to combat the TV revenue and things of that nature. And I think this is the time to kind of, you know, beta test it. I, I should also mention, look, D- Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal. I mean, there's a bunch yeah. of other guys that are attractions and and highlight real players and and star players in their own right. I don't want to take anything away from those guys. I want to I want to talk a little bit about sort of the logistics of this and and what our day to day lives are going to look yeah, like. I have, I have many questions about. Yeah, this. so Let's I have some this. questions. I have some things to talk about. First of all, my first question, as it relates to you and your team, yep. Have you guys heard anything about what sort of benefits you guys are going to get from being a higher seed once the playoffs starts? Like, what is what is home court advantage going to look like if you're the number one seed in the East? I I haven't. And it's funny you you mentioned that I was chatting with some guys on the team and and actually a few of the owners uh, during our, our march on Sunday and they've heard a lot about hey there might be an asterisk next to this win because it's no fans or whatever and they're coming back on the other side saying yeah it's going to be that much harder because the one seed which was us at the time has no home court advantage. There is no home court advantage, no fans, no anything. So they seemed to be putting some pressure on trying to find a solution to that. The only idea that I ever heard was pumping in crowd noise at certain times, but I don't know how much of an effect that would actually happen. So I actually think there won't be any advantage to, to the seating. I actually think it's going to be just tough luck, unfortunately. Maybe, uh, maybe, Teams on higher seeds get sweets at the Grand Floridian. And everybody else gets a regular room. This is one of my questions. Have they, the lodging, are you guys all, so it's just team hotels? Is everyone in a different hotel? I think everyone, from what I've heard, I think everyone's in the same hotel. There's three. Okay, so I wrote this down on my call with Griff the other day. The three hotels are the Yacht Club, the Grand Floridian, and the Grand. Vestino. 
Those are the three hotels. And are these hotels all like equal in quality or is one of them? I don't know. I think we should get on know. Yelp. I think we should get on Yelp and test <laughs> <Yeah>. this out. <laughs> that would be a wild, that would be wild. Like suites for the number one seeds. Every yeah. number eight and nine seeds actually have roommates. They don't even have yes. their own room. Yes, that's like, a good one. Maybe the quality of one. food. Like some guys get steak and grilled chicken. Other guys get wings and pizza. And if you sweep, and if you sweep the first round, the food gets better. <laughs> yeah, start, yeah. They start rotating at the Pentagon. <laughs> everything's incentivized. <laughs> That'll be no. That's a great. That's a great point. I don't. I personally, I don't think there will be any advantage to being the one seed anymore. Unfortunately, uh, that that would be that would be an interesting interesting idea. Did you, did you play? Um, did you play AU when you were growing up? Basketball. I did. I didn't play AU basketball till really until my sophomore and junior year of high school because I played baseball every summer. Because a couple players uh, we've talked to have sort of compared it to that in terms of an energy of just like, there's no other situation. Even the Olympics isn't really like this. Like There's no situation where you're walking around and you're just seeing guys all the time, like getting food and doing whatever in a way where like, like you guys don't really interact with each other that much during the regular season. Kind of like play yeah, and then... Besides guys that you know and you're friends with, you might grab dinner the night before a game, but you're, you're absolutely right. Like AAU would probably be the best. Like we went down to Orlando to play AAU, played at the Milk House, the Jocelyn Center. Um, and you're around the hotel. You see other teams uh, that are around the hotel at the pool, uh, you know, walking around the shopping centers, malls, whatever. Obviously, I don't think any of that will be happening. Um, you know, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, is there a way to, like put guys like, can guys go to games? Like, can I, if I'm not playing on one day, can I go to a game? Can I sit courtside? Like that would be kind of cool for fans to see if you got Russ courtside at the Oklahoma city thunder playoff game. Like it would just, I think there will be some unique situations that fans and quite frankly, myself would love to, to see kind of what happens and how guys react and, and, and all that sort of thing. If you've got players sitting courtside, as opposed to, fans, owners, whatever. I mean, I would assume like once we're in the bubble and we get past that like two, three week mark, like if you're not, if you're testing negatively and you're not having symptoms that we can all interact with each other. Right. I, 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 yeah. I, I was told that if like we have a friend on another team, like we can go hang out with that friend. We don't have to yeah. like socially distance from other t you know people. Once everybody's in the bubble and we're all squared away and, and it's good to go, like we're good. But can you go to like games? That's a great like, question. Because I can't take I an Uber to idea. a game, right? Like I can't, <laughs> I can't just get in a random Uber. That's not part of the bubble. Like they have yeah. fans, shuttles that are going back yeah. and forth. Like because I think going to games would be would be cool. Like I think it would be unique. Like you saw the league in China, the baseball league that was throwing stuffed animals in behind the uh, plate, right? Yeah, that yeah. was looking like it was, that was filled. Awesome. Like a, that was cool. Yeah. But like, imagine yeah. if that was just like us, like there, like you're hearing guys speak. I mean, everything's going to be loud. Like you're going to hear guys talk trash back and forth. Like I think it would, it would be, no, you don't want any fights breaking out, but I think it would yeah. be pretty, pretty cool. And it, it's cool. It would be cool if it's like, like the team you, you're, you say you guys sweep your first round series and you go to see the teams that you might play in the next round and you go and like you go as a team and you go and you just scout it out and everything like that. Like there's an element to it, which this, the whole thing with all of this stuff is it's never going to happen again. So For every, sure. So it's every, it's history. Any, yeah. So everything like this, the more you can push the issue without getting like 
suspended or 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 quarantined or whatever like the for better. sure like like what if this is completely hypothetical but what if we were going to play the raptors or the celtics in the eastern conference finals and what we wanted to play one team as opposed to the other and you had Giannis standing behind the backboard like this during a free throw to win the game trying to like distract the guy like that's good television people yeah. are watching that you know what i mean like that's fun like and that's a side that like people don't get to see. No one sees us as fans. People only see us as players. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Uh, do you have a Do you have a specific uh, game day routine? And if so, because I do, and and it's it's long. I mean, it's it, like game days are like eight hour days, you know. And yeah. it, they're, they're I mean, of like real stuff, like pre- preparatory work and late and and working out and all this stuff to get ready just to play. And I, that's that's a especially as an older guy. That's sort of my <clears throat> concern, like logistically on a game day. Is like, am I gonna have just a? I know it's not gonna be normal, but just the the right amount of resources and space and access to gym equipment that I need to to prepare to play. Yeah, that's that's a great question. But actually, I asked an assistant coach about that the other day. Um, I do have a routine. Um, I'm actually being a old baseball player. I've actually gone the out like baseball players are superstitious, like no other. Right. Um, so if they're supposed to eat at a certain time and they eat the same meal at three Oh seven every day before a game, like if it's three Oh nine, they're thrown off for that day. So I've actually gone the other way. I have like certain parts of my routine that I try to do each and every game day but I try to allow for some like differences because I don't mentally, I feel like it's a little bit easier and a little bit more healthy for me to be able to have some flexibility. Every day is different. It's not going to be the same. I can only control so many things. So like, as far as when I eat a pregame meal, I try to do that hour and a half, two hours before a game. Um, I always do a lift before the game. Uh, I always try to do some sprints on the bike, like right before tip. Um, you know, I always try to get a sweat, some shots up, dribbling drills, different things. Um, during our selected shooting time out on the court before the game, um, stretch things like that. But I don't have like a, a regimented the entire time. I try not to sleep in. I try to wake up early, do something in the morning and then take a nap in the afternoon before the game, things like that. Uh, but from what I heard, I don't even like might be the assistant coaches being ball boys. Like I, yeah. I haven't even heard <laughs> there's going to be any ball boys. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's going to be friggin' layup lines. Like, Cause you also got to think how many games they're trying to get done on a daily basis. If they're starting that, I mean, I don't know about you. I hate noon games. Like it screws up the yeah. whole routine. You yeah. know what I mean? It brings me yeah. back to college. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what they allow. Like, are you just rolling out layup lines 30 minutes before the game and like figure it out? Like, how, like what do you think is going to, you probably know more than I do. Well, I think, I think, uh, one thing mentally that I'm preparing for, because at times, I can be a little rigid, especially when it comes to sort of, you know, my routine. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I've yelled at people pregame before if they fucked with my shit. I have, <laughs> I have, yeah, I yelled, I yelled at Jamel McMillan, like our first regular season game this year. Cause he yeah. told me my wrong shooting time. Like, Jamel, I don't shoot at that time. I shoot at 45 on the clock. <laughs> I just, so I, lie. I, I get a little, a little more of that. <laughs> yeah. I get a little worked up about things. It's, I'm just very specific, but like mentally I'm already already preparing. Like I've, you've got to let go and relax. Like this is, as you guys just mentioned, this is sort of unprecedented. 
this will never happen again. And I think most people will understand like this isn't your normal preparation, you know, <clears throat> normal practice, whatever. It's not going to be, it's not going to be what it's like. And so I just kind of have to just mentally prepare and let go. I read something, uh, I think it was yesterday about, I can't remember what owner it was, uh, talking about how they were looking into uh, like buying, um, nicer TVs and outfitting rooms with like stereo equipment and video games for guys, like trying to figure out if that would like be okay with the CBA, but like, no, but I mean, we're like going back to just living in this bubble for anywhere from like six to 12 weeks, you know, there, there it's, it's going to get a little monotonous and it's going to get, it's going to get, I think mentally a little challenging. And and so trying to figure out what those like creature comforts are for guys, I think is, I think it's going to be huge. Well, let me ask you, how are you going to pack for it? Like when have you ever had to pack for a road trip longer than 10 days? Like in done laundry on the road, like just like simple stuff, like daily life things like food, like we eat at those same, are we going to have to eat at the same restaurants within the thing every single day for eight to 12 weeks? Or will chefs like, will per, like the team chefs be able to come down and cook different stuff? Like, can you have yoga and spin classes or something for guys on off days? Like I know you'll have team lifts and stuff like that, but like there's a lot of hours in a day if you're in one place for seven to eight to 12 weeks at one time. Well, one of the things is there's 35 people that can come, 15 players. The league has sort of mandated, I think, 10 around 10 of those extra 20 positions. You know, there's got to be two equipment guys. There's got to be uh, a PR guy, a social media manager. Like, there's all these yeah. things. So then the teams are now left with like, all right, well, which trainers do we bring? Do we bring a massage therapist? Do we bring two massage? Like everybody's sort of scrambling to figure this out. And I'm sure as these conversations go deeper, you know, over the next week or so, I'm sure we'll have more information about this, but it is, it is, you're right. You, you brought up like the assistant coaches and head coaches, like Alvin Gentry might have to <laughs> rebound for me pregame. That's not an exaggeration. I know, he might like have to coach- be out there on the court. Like Coach Bud, if like Coach Bud's out on the floor, like, like, what happens if I miss a few pregame shots? Is that going to affect my playing time? Is he going to be like, oh, he's not ready to play, or he, he, today's not his day? Like, how how is that going to how is that going to fly? That's a good question. What about what about two way guys? Are they part of the thirty five? Like, they're out. They're definitely they're out. out. They're, they're definitely, definitely out. out. They, I think they might be able to replace a player if he gets injured, but the two way yeah. guys are out. They're not part of the 35. Originally they were, they're not out. They're out though. Okay. So if a guy gets injured, they get brought in. I guess. They get quarantined for two weeks. Like what have they been doing for the last month? Yeah. Yeah. There's a quarantine. There's there's so many logistics. You're right. That go into it. And like, who's singing the national anthem, by the way. Great question. I mean, will there even be a national anthem? (laughs) Yeah. It's going to do it eight times a day. It's going to be, it's going to be Vic. It's going to be old Epo or someone who can sit, a player oh. that can sing. That would be Vic's dope, gonna get actually. kept there. Vic's going to get kept <laughs> every, there. Every game. <laughs> if Indiana gets bounced, he's going to be kept there for the remainder of the uh, seven, eight weeks, what's, whatever it what, is. What's the breakdown with families versus like girlfriends? Like, Do you have to be married? That's a good question. I, I am so... Uh, uh, well, I guess I'm clear now, but from what we were originally told to what is coming out now about families not being able to come until after the first round of the playoffs. 
that's not what we were originally told. And so I'm like, you know, I have a wife and two kids. So I'm like, I'm like locked in, not going to see them. You know, I'm going back to New Orleans in the next, you know, few days or whatever. I'm locked in. I'm not going to see them for two months. And that's, I mean, as a dad, as somebody who actually likes being around their family, that's, that's tough, man. That's tough. Probably not really easy for your wife either. Having to deal with the two kids without your help for two months. Right. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it it complicates things for sure. It complicates things. Um, when this all, when this all like got announced though, I, I feel like the reaction, uh, on like Twitter and social media, I feel like it wasn't what I expected it to be. And, and obviously a lot of that had to do with, um, you know, the protests going on around the country, um, in regards to, to black lives matter and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And in some ways, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Pat, but in some ways, like my excitement to return isn't, even personally, it isn't what I thought it was going to be because there's so much other stuff going on right now. Yeah. I mean, based off discussing, talking with teammates and, and, and my own like opinions on it, like there are more important things than, than basketball at the moment in time within our country. But I also think basketball and sports bring about hope. It brings unity. It has diversity within it, things of that nature. And I think, you know, one of the, the, the conversations that I had about it was uh, with, with some teammates was, it'll be nice to be in a place with your teammates again, fighting towards one common goal, no matter what race, ethnicity, diversity, skin color you are with the hope that that will translate as a professional athlete. Sometimes in, in, in my personal life, I can be naive to how it is because we're in this bubble. Ironically using the word bubble again, we're in this bubble where everything is equal in my opinion, for the most part, there obviously are some things that still have to be at the higher levels that have to be, um, stressed, but, um, as teammates, you know, we, we all love being around each other. It doesn't really matter. And so my hope is with sports coming back, that can at least bring some hope so that the rest of the world can kind of take after some of the things that we do within the NBA because sure. of how great Adam's been about being, allowing guys to use it as a platform to speak out on social issues like this. Yeah, no, I, I, I think a couple of things to what you just said. First of all, uh, in regards to just being back with your teammates, I think what a lot of people felt during the, the first few months of this pandemic is loneliness. Right. And if you're on a sports team, you're used to being around, be, you're used to be being around, you know, dozens and dozens, dozens of people that are your friends. And then of course, on a game day, you're around tens of thousands of people. You interact right. with hundreds of people every day. And to have that stop so suddenly uh, is really hard. That was something that I really struggled with early on, was just just like not being around teammates, not being around my coaches, not having those interactions in the locker room, in the training room, in practice or whatever. Um, second thing I wanted to say to what you, you said, when I was growing up, there wasn't, I don't remember ever hearing the word white privilege. I, I I don't remember. That wasn't taught to me. That wasn't like a common term at the time. I don't know, Tommy, could you, can you speak to that at all? I don't I remember had, I had, that. I had heard it, but it's certainly not the same, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
level but intuitively, that intuitively, you see that, right? Yeah. Intuitively, growing up, you see, oh, black people are treated differently in this country. And then, and then the last like five years, obviously, that phrase and that notion has become mainstream. And now everybody, you know, talks about that or whatever. And, you know, one of the things I, I said this, you know, on our, our teammate call last week, but like, I was aware of it. I knew it was there. I felt like I always was an advocate. It was hard for me to sort of apply white privilege to my own life because I was like, oh, well, I my parents, I didn't grow up rich. My, I went to public school. I never had money. My parents were always in debt. You know, I made the league. I worked hard or whatever. It was hard for me at first to like really apply it to my own life. In the last two, three years, like, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of reflected and realized how privileged I've been to be white in this country. For sure. I can give you specific, specific examples, but for sure it's there. Um, but it is just to, just to go back. It is, um, exciting for me because of the pandemic and then now everything our country is going through, it's exciting for me to sort of get back in a, what it was like a happy place, which is, you know, with, with our teammates. I would, I would add, I was going to say, I would add one, one quick thing to that with both to, with both of you said, you know, in terms of the loneliness thing, I think that that's a thing for fans as well. You know, fans of all backgrounds and everything like that love watching you guys play and they love talking about it online. They love going to the games. And so even before everything of the last couple of weeks, just starting in March, you know, having this be a thing that, uh, was taken away from them for the right reasons, but still a thing that was taken away from them. There is a uniting factor that I hope that we're going to see come back uh, in July. I agree. I mean, I think, you know, sports, it's, it's a common denominator in a lot of American lives, uh, you know, watching them rooting for certain teams, like uh, pulling for players, being able to fans and young kids, being able to look up to players, interact with them, um, you know, not just on social media, but at games, sidelines, whatever. Uh, so uh, although obviously there's, you know, a level as to how that can be done. When sports are back, there won't be fans at games and things like that. I think just being able to get back to watching sports, I, I agree, hopefully will unify. And, and, and I also think, you know, the NBA and, and guys on certain teams, I think they'll do a great job, you know, as sports are coming back to, to use it as a spotlight to, to really try to inflict some, some social change that's been needed. Um, and that's been brought to the forefront in the last, you know, few weeks. By the way, Tommy, uh, you tweet you texted me a tweet this morning from a um, prominent conservative um, uh, talking head who said something. Uh, al- uh, ben, ben Shapiro. Ben, ben, Shapiro, ben Shapiro, Shapiro, who said something along. I didn't want to say his name, but you said it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try to not say his name, but so he was with. Uh, he was doing an interview with Clay Travis, who, who's an absolute just idiot. Yeah, I was going to say shithead. Um, yeah. But so those guys are like Ben Shapiro is talking about how, um, you know, he he canceled his Sports Illustrated uh, uh, subscription because uh, Caitlyn Jenner was on the cover and how he 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 hopes that someday there's a second there's a, a whole s- subdivision now, a second sports leagues where politics are just completely taken out of it. And that his basically his happy place has been taken away. It's been removed from his life. He can't. He doesn't know if he'll ever be able to watch sports anymore, because now sports and politics are so intertwined, which is fucking insane. Wow. 
Yeah, it's, we're gonna we're gonna send you we're gonna send you the clip when we get off. It's a it is uh, it, it was insane at any point, but in this moment in particular, it's insane because you're he's missing so many points. But I think one of the major ones he's missing, Pat, is something you just talked about. Is like think about the conversations you have with your teammates. Like this is a thing that is it coalesces throughout the sport. It coalesces throughout the locker room. So to just put your head under the pillow and act like this thing doesn't exist is not only like disrespectful to society and to your neighbors, but it's disrespectful to the players that you cheer for. This is a thing that affects you guys directly. For sure. And I, I mean, I would say this is far more important than what I'm going to compare it to, but like, you know, it's kind of like back in the beginning when guys started, athletes started to get involved in business. No one liked athletes getting involved in business. I mean, you got the famous quote of obviously LeBron shut up and dribble, but like no one enjoyed athletes getting involved in business. Now people don't enjoy athletes getting involved in politics and you know, they're both for the right reasons. You know what I mean? I think people are very narrow minded, uh, in nature sometimes, um, because of everything about athletes being public athletes income, what they do, like, and, and I don't think they like the idea of athletes being able to have their own opinions and their own thoughts and their own business and their own, you know, political views. And, uh, you know, I'm happy at least being an NBA guy that the NBA has supported guys on both the business and the political views front for social change, social justice, things of that nature, because at the end of the day, one like Darvin Ham, one of our assistant coaches made a great point. Like, we're all human before we are basketball players. We're all human before we are athletes. And it's kind of starts right there. Like from what we've seen over the last few weeks, like these are people not being treated as, as human, you know, obviously it's, it's a race thing, black, white, like white people aren't treating black people. And that's a history thing, but it starts just human beings treating human beings. It's as other human beings. It's dehumanizing. You're right. It's dehumanizing for anyone to tell an athlete to shut up and dribble. You're not allowed to have a political view. You're not allowed to pursue business opportunities. That is incredibly dehumanizing. When you add in the factor of race, that a lot of people saying these things are white, and a lot of the athletes doing these things are black, it is 100% a reflection of the racism in our country. It's impossible for me, and I, I, I have private conversations with people that I don't know that well, that will say something about my teammates or NBA players or whatever, and I'm like, well, hold the fuck on. No, 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 no. Let me correct you real quick. You're talking about uh, husbands, dads, businessmen, uh, activists, college graduates. I mean, you're talking about some of the smartest, most intelligent, most driven people to dehumanize them in any way is completely fucked. And I'm not going to stand for it. it. Honestly, it's like, it's, it's insecurity in my opinion. Like it's just, it's, it's being nervous that somebody else is stepping into your zone and having a view or a business that is better than yours, in, in my opinion, and, and has a platform to actually do something about it. I would totally agree with that. I want to talk to you about some of the stuff you're doing off the court uh, and ask you about that. So you mentioned earlier um, you have a real estate business. Just tell us about how you got involved in that and, and what kind of things you're doing. You know, I was fortunate. I grew up around my dad who was a general contractor. So uh, kind of like you mentioned, JJ, like 
always working on job sites, you know, uh, busting his hump to, to, to try to make a living for, for me and my family. And I ended up at a young age, junior high, obviously into high school, working on his job sites, hauling lumber up and down the stairs, cleaning up the yard, throwing stuff in the dumpsters, all that sort of stuff. But, uh, it taught me hard work and, and what it also showed me was just, which I didn't understand at the time was just a house that nobody wants being turned into a house that somebody will pay money for and want. And as I got older, like I've always been an advocate for athletes in business and kind of trying to disprove that stereotype that ESPN 30 for 30 broke kind of came out that athletes ended up broke. Like, I don't know why maybe it was going to Notre Dame, going to the undergrad business school, whatever. But like, I've always been fascinated with trying to really make sure that that stereotype changes. So for me, when I graduated from Notre Dame or actually even ahead of time, when I got drafted for baseball after my junior year of high school. My dad had flipped the house at Notre Dame, gave him an excuse to come to the basketball games. Um, I approached him and asked if I could do the same thing. So I was, uh, I was fortunate enough. I was able to accept the signing bonus from baseball in between my junior and senior summer. I played pro baseball that summer and, you know, we kind of flipped the house. I lived in it my senior year, fixed it up junior summer, lived in it my senior year, sold it afterwards, made, I mean, self-end market isn't crazy, but made 25, 30 grand. Um, and I thought it was awesome. So when I got drafted into the NBA and I obviously had a contract and stuff like that, I wanted to put my money towards something in business and I wanted to do it with something that I knew, or at least had an understanding of that I could learn more about. And that was with my dad in, in, in business in, in real estate. And so, uh, he kind of dissolved his company back home and, and I started my own little development company that he helps me run on a day-to-day basis with my best friend, uh, Joe Stan that we grew up together. And it started with a few house flips. That's all I had money for a uh, second round pick. The contract wasn't, uh, you know, Giannis status, if you will. So I had to obviously start low and that's what my dad did. But what I slowly started to realize was like, that's what my dad did. He flipped houses because that's what, when he sold them, he made some money to provide for my family. We're in fortunate position where, you know, we have a day job, if you will, a basketball is obviously our income. And so I want to try to start to build something in real estate that's for later on in life. So, you know, as opposed to flipping houses, you know, we look for multi-family buildings or mixed use buildings or things that, you know, with my dad's expertise in building, you know, we can develop, we can create some value in, we can buy a shitty building and, and make it into a building that people want to be in. We're doing, we've done four in, uh, Portland when I was out there, my second and third year. Um, we've done two starting this year in Milwaukee. I've done three back at Notre Dame, the two and the three at Milwaukee and Notre Dame are under development now. So they're not done, but, uh, I just started to see the business behind it and how it works. And as I started to do more of it, I've had more NBA guys that wanted to get involved and that kind of helped me be an advocate for athletes and business and also kind of disprove that stereotype because the way it's set up, the, like in real estate, it's advantageous to, you know, later on in life. And as athletes, if we have a short window to make money, but we can build something in that short window, we can create a real estate portfolio in that short window in 10, 15 years, it'll start to make money. Then it's kind of like an annuity. It's like the pension and the 401k and things like that. Just it happens a little quicker. And so, um, I've gotten a, a handful of guys involved and I've started to try to grow it to get more guys involved. And, uh, one of the biggest things that, you know, the, one of the biggest requirements I have for before athletes get involved is just that they're getting involved because they want to learn about the business. I think all professional athletes at some point in time, want a dream home, want a second home, want something. 
whether they want to continue to invest in real estate or not is to their own accord, but they're going to be open to real estate. And you, there are so many guys that have gotten taken by general contractors and developers and people who are building their homes um, and shafted from a monetary standpoint and a building standpoint, because they don't have any idea of what it's like. So guys that invest, you know, they come by the job site, they learn the financial side, they learn how much something should cost, why it costs that, why we're building this type of building as opposed to that type and how the money on the front end is actually going to turn into that much more money on the back end. And that's one of the things that I thoroughly enjoy. And it's, it's, it's not as complicated as I think some guys think. Um, it can be if you make it that way, but being able to kind of talk to them and be part of the you know fraternity. I mean, I think we know as athletes, you get approached by a businessman just because of history and all the bad ones out there. You're a little bit wary, you're a little on guard. If you can do business with guys within that fraternity or coming from the same perspective as you, um, I'm that much more comfortable with it. Is this something that you see yourself doing for sure when you're done playing? Yeah, definitely. You know, I yeah. think in a, in a perfect world, um, I'd like to build, you know, two, three, four properties a year. Um, the way the one that's set up now is like when we rent the three units, the building itself will only yield probably one and a half, two grand a month. Um, so 20, 24 grand a year, which most athletes are like, what is that compared to what I'm making? But in 10, 15 years, when that mortgage falls off, that turns into eight grand a month. You do two, three, four of them each year that turns into real dollars. Uh, and what I would in a, in a perfect world love to do is build that real estate portfolio with other NBA guys, other professional athletes. And then as that portfolio continues to grow, work with the NBA, the players associations across different sports leagues to just talk with athletes, work with athletes to help them understand the model of making sure that they're using their finances to the best of their ability. And they're not spending all of their money and wasting it because we are in a fortunate position. We've hit the lottery. We might as well odds are not great of hitting the lottery again. Right. Is it, is it, is it a common thing? Uh, I mean, you mentioned broke, which is, which is a great documentary. There've been a million, uh, articles and I think a few books just about uh, athletes, athletes and artists getting sort of to use your words taken by like 